You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for March 29th, 2020, the fifth Sunday in Lent. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Peter Walsh. It's based on John 11, verses 1 through 45. Good morning, and welcome to all of you who are near and all of you who are far. We are so pleased that you have joined us this morning, and we honor your time. So we are all in our disparate places this morning, so why don't we come to some common time, and why don't we come to some common places so that we might all feel unified here together. So just to locate us in time, right? It is the fifth Sunday of Lent. It is the last Sunday of Lent. Holy Week begins next week with Palm Sunday, the Sunday of the Passion, and then, of course, unfolds the rest. So this pandemic is exhausting. So why don't we just take a few minutes now, take a deep breath, let's put down, put down the pandemic for a moment, and let's locate ourselves in the life of Jesus, and let's locate ourselves in John's gospel. So uh, much of the drama today takes place in Bethany, and uh, just to be sure that you understand the geography of this. So uh, Bethany is the mountain, the mount that is next to the mount where Jerusalem is. Bethany is on the back side of the mount. We're told that it is two miles from Jerusalem. And next week on Sunday, Jesus will move from Bethany to the top of the Mount of Olives where he will board a donkey and come down the Mount of Olives. He'll stop halfway down and he will pray and cry over Jerusalem. Then he'll come down through the Kidron Valley and then up for the good, I mean, for the Palm Sunday reception in Jerusalem. But today, all of the action takes place on the backside of the Mount of Olives. So uh, we are with the family of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. These are part of Jesus's crew. We're told in Mark's gospel that Jesus stays with this family when he's visiting Jerusalem. Uh, they are all known to the disciples whose names we know. And the Martha and Mary that we meet are really the same Martha and Mary that we know from Luke's gospel. I mean, it is really uncanny. Martha and Mary are, of course, those iconic figures in the Christian spiritual life. Martha representing the action woman and Mary representing the contemplative spirit. We meet Lazarus here today, and we're told several times that Jesus loved him, though he is not uh, part of the narratives of the other synoptic gospels. And in fact, uh, if you go to the Holy Land today, the Arabic name for the town of Bethany actually is associated with Lazarus and not Mary and Martha. So we are told, of course, that Lazarus, whom Jesus loved, is ill, and Jesus is down the road. So of the Mount of Olives, Bethany, Jesus is down the road. But what road is Jesus on? I mean, quite interestingly, he's on the road that, that leads from Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, and all the way down to the Jordan River, to the Transjordan Valley. This is the very road where the parable of the Good Samaritan takes place. And for those of you who have made pilgrimages to the Holy Land and have been to Wadi Kelt, this is the road that you see way down in the valley. We are in John's Gospel, so 
uh, the story is long and many layered. I don't know how many minutes it took me to read the gospel, but this is a characteristic of John's gospel, right? These long narratives in which we really get way deep into the who Jesus is and how are the people around him uh, reacting to him. And we, of course, meet once again that enigmatic Jesus. The enigmatic Jesus never does what people want him to do. He never does what he's supposed to do. We saw this last week when he made that mud and healed the blind man, right? He did that on the Sabbath, causing all sorts of stress and trouble. And the week before, when he as a Jewish man spoke with the Samaritan woman. Today, in the gospel we just read, everything that Jesus does or says is unexpected, it's called into question, and it's misunderstood. This is the world that Jesus lives in. So, a day's trip down to Jesus, the message arrives, and what does he say at first? This illness does not lead to death, rather it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Well, on the one hand, it does lead to death, and the disciples have absolutely no idea what he's talking about. Then he's told that he is sick, he loves him, and then he decides to stay two days longer. And then once he seems to have settled in, he decides to go. He says, we're going to go to Judea. Judea, remember, the root of where we get the word Jew, the Jewish people from Judea. He decides to go, and Thomas, the twin, who unfortunately bears the moniker Doubting Thomas, says to him, Lord, they, they, they wanted to stone you. And, and later he says, oh, okay, we're going to go with him, and they're going to stone us too, right? This guy, uh, known as the Doubting Man, is really the one of great courage here. And then Jesus says, well, Lazarus is asleep. And of course, the disciples say, well, then he'll just wake up, but Jesus is talking about he's dead, and when he awakens him, awakens him, he's talking about raising him from the dead. The disciples have no idea what's going on. So they take off that one-day trip, and when they arrive, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. So, what happens? Martha goes out to greet Jesus even before he gets to the village of Bethany. And that Martha that we meet, once again, she's the same Martha. Remember, she was the one who was working to prepare the house while Jesus was visiting. And she had said to, you know, to Jesus, hey, make my sister help me. Martha is the action woman, and she is the first one out there to greet Jesus. And she is just as direct a talker to Jesus as she was in that story that took place in the household he arrives and she says, Lord, had you been here, my brother would not have died. Bam! She just lays it out for him. Now think for a moment what it's like to be Jesus. I mean, this man has anxiety. Everybody else's anxiety and displeasure coming to him at all times, right? Now Martha believes in Jesus. She just does not know that he is life itself. She believes in the resurrection at the end of time. This is what the Pharisees during Jesus' day believed. And Martha is right there, but she has absolutely no idea that, that Jesus has the power to raise her brother from the dead. She runs back and tells Mary, the teacher, 
Another translation might say, the rabbi. The rabbi wants to see you. And the Mary we meet, again, is, is she's the same Mary that we know in Luke's Gospel. She has the same disposition. You know, she's the one who was seated at Jesus' feet in Luke's Gospel. And what are we told at the beginning of the Scripture today? That Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And in this part of the story, Mary's at home sitting quietly on the floor. This is a dirt floor. And that's what the Jewish women of the day did when they are in mourning. They sat on the floor. She gets word and she moves quickly and she runs out to the edge of town. And what is the first thing she does? She falls at his feet. This is the same person. She says what her, bro- what her sister said, Lord, had you been here? But then Mary wept, and all the mourners, it had said that the Jews had come from Jerusalem. So mourning in the Jewish community, as it's done in many Jewish communities, attracts a community of mourners. It's very beautiful. So all the mourners went too, and Mary wept, and they wept, and then what do we hear? But Jesus begins to weep, to weep. Our translation this morning is, Jesus began to weep. The previous translation was just two words. Jesus wept. Shortest sentence in the New Testament and one that just speaks volumes. So I sometimes hear, so where is God in all this? Where is Jesus in all this pandemic? And, and I always think of Jesus wept. And when I think of Jesus wept, I'm reminded of one of the most beautiful prayers in the Book of Common Prayer. And listen, Many of you know this in your heart. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night. Give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ. Give rest to the weary. Bless the dying. Soothe the suffering. Pity the afflicted. Shield the joyous. And all for your love's sake. Now, I have no idea. I mean, I have no doubt that the Lord is with all of us at all times, particularly in these stressed and distressed days, but I am doubly sure that the Lord is with those who struggle the most and with those who weep. It is the disposition of Jesus' heart that is present at the tomb and is present to us now. So then finally the story comes to the actual sign. Miracles in John's gospel are known as signs, and he raises Lazarus from the dead, and and interestingly, you know, he, he prays and But look at Martha. She's bold. She is bold. She says, Lord, (laughs) he's going to smell. He's been in the tomb for four days. But Jesus is undaunted, even with a powerful personality like Martha, speaks to the Father, calls Lazarus out of the grave, and then says, unbind him and let him go. All of the signs in John's gospel, all the miracles in John's gospel are to convey two things. One, who is Jesus and what did he come to all of us? What did he come to bring us, right? So the raising of Lazarus from the grave is a dramatization of the theme and the fact that Jesus is life. Now, we hear that in John's gospel where Jesus says, I am the truth and the life. And then from the scriptures today, 
I am the resurrection and the life. And we hear, what has he come to bring us? We hear that earlier in John's Gospel, that he says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And then, of course, in this miracle, Jesus gives physical life to Lazarus as a sign that he gives eternal life to those who die. That's, that's what is happening in the Gospels. This story points toward Easter. So, who is Jesus, and what has he come to bring us, and what does this Gospel story have to teach us about this time in our lives now during this global pandemic? There are many, many answers about that, but let me just proffer a thought or two. I mean, first of all, I want you to notice that in all of the anxiety, Jesus is the one who is not anxious. And here I'm also reminded of uh, several years ago when I was on sabbatical, one of the things I wanted to do was learn how to surf. And so Jennifer and Phineas and I went down to, to the household of one of my good friends, Jay Sidebotham, who's a priest, and he uh, has a house, he and his family have a house that is down on the North Carolina shore. And when we got there, there was a hurricane coming and the surf was really rough. I couldn't even stand knee deep, never mind, get on a surfboard. But what I learned while I was there, that the Lord had brought me down to CJ and down to North Carolina for a completely different reason. On the second day, I said to him, you know, uh, I know you're not expecting this, but I actually need to make a life confession, and I need to do it today. you have any time? And I thought he was going to say, I can do it right now, but he's a priest, and so he said, I have like no time. I have one hour in the afternoon, and then I got a boogie because I've got to do uh, a Bible study. So at the appointed hour, we met on his porch, opened up the prayer books, entered into the rite of reconciliation, began the prayers, and when it comes to the point where uh, the penitent uh, says what is on his or her heart, I gushed. I gushed for 40 straight minutes. I gushed everything that was ugly. I gushed petty things. I gushed envies and jealousies. I gushed everything I had done wrong. I gushed everybody who I can stand. I, all the hurts that I had received from people and not forgiven. All the other people that I had hurt but had never said, I'm sorry. I gushed my self-centered ambitions. I mean, I gushed. I just gushed and gushed. And 40 minutes later, there it was. It was like, if you excuse me, for saying, it was like throwing up for 40 minutes, and it was just there, this ugly mess. And we sat in silence after the ugly mess, and I said to Jay, you know, I have a Gordian knot in my soul that I have tried every which way to untie. I've asked the Lord. I, I've done everything. It's got, a, it's got me locked in a kind of self-centeredness that I, I can't break. And he had the grace not to speak. We sat in silence, and then he said, maybe during this sabbatical, the Lord will untie that Gordian knot, not of your own doing, but by the grace of God. I said, that's good. That's good. We said the prayers, and he had to boogie. The next day, I was uh, getting ready and, and saying the daily office and the readings from it, 
it was this scripture today, and it said, unbind him and let him go. And I felt those words were spoken directly to me, and I offer those words to you today. Are those words spoken to you? So what happened to me and I'll, on my sabbatical was that I began to experience that Gordian knot being untied, not by my own doing, but by the grace of God. You know what it was like? It was like when you're having computer problems and you can't solve all the stuff on your computer and you give a tech person permission to get on your computer and while you're sitting there doing nothing, the cursor starts moving all over the screen and things start clicking and things are popping up and processes are happening. And then at the end of it, uh, the person says, okay, all good, you're ready to go. Well, that's what it was like. I didn't do anything. I was simply attentive and I was desirous of being unbound. I let go of the controls and the result was that uh, I felt more free. I felt less encumbered. I felt less centered, self-centered. I had way more energy and I felt so much more alive and I felt unbound. The only reason I'm sharing this story with you today is to say that this may well be your story. I mean, it didn't change me. I'm still the same goofball. There's no question I was not changed. I'm still the same guy. But the Lord did things for me that I could not do on my own. Now, I would never say that this pandemic is a sabbatical. (laughs) This is no sabbatical. But it is the greatest disruption that most of us have ever experienced in our lives. And the disruption is brutal. It is brutal, life-threatening. But it does not mean that there are not things that come out of this disruption that might be unbelievably beautiful. For not only is the good stuff disrupted, but also the bad stuff within us is disrupted, right? Those things that we we push down in our daily lives might now have a chance to come up and to come out. That's what happened to me. I just stopped working, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow, you've been pushing this stuff down for a really long time. Here I am. Whoop! Now, I do not know if you have a Gordian knot in your soul. Most of us are tied up in knots right now with fear and anxiety. We are isolated in our homes, but we must not become entombed in our own souls. In this time where our little worlds are shrinking, now is the time for us to have a major soul expansion. During this time of self-isolation, Invite the Lord right in to the center of your soul. Mobilize your Martha and Mary and send a messenger. And when you, if, you think, if you think the Spirit of the Lord is coming, run out and meet him before he gets uh, to the edge of your property line, right? Go get this guy. Because there are things that God in Christ can accomplish in you that you cannot do on your own. This is part of what the Pelagian controversy was about a long, long time ago in early Christianity. But there are certain things that only the grace of God can accomplish within us. If you have any doubt about that, just go to a 12-step group anywhere around the world. So let the Lord of life bring you more life, right? He stood at Lazarus' tomb and said, Lazarus, come out. 
Imagine him standing before you, calling you by name and saying, come out. Let your true self, your full self, your fully alive self come out. And then ask him to intervene with grace to untie what is ever knotted in you. Let him untie any Gordian knots you have, any problems you have. Let him untie that knotted feeling in your, in your gut, right? Let him let you, the Lord of life, be more alive, more loving, more caring for others, uh, more prayerful, uh, more ready to show mercy. Uh, to be lost in the flow of grace is the most grace life fulfilling thing that we can have. To be a fully alive human being to the glory of God is to be set free, right? During this pandemic, the Lord of life is here for the living and for the dead, right? He unbinds those who live and he unbinds those who die. From our reading this morning, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. This is the very beginning of the burial office in the Book of Common Prayer. I am the resurrection in the life. We are all in this pandemic together, but we are up for the challenge. But we are not up for the challenge if we try to do it alone. So call upon your Lord, right? Let your Lord unbind you so that you can be fully alive to meet the challenge of this pandemic. It's all there for the taking, but go out to the edge of the village and meet this guy. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.